kids, this is Extra Risk, where we give you even more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is The Janks. Behind me now, they provided an instrumental version of their song, Hands of Time. Today on the show, one of the most naturally funny people I know, Kurt Braunohler has a talent for being completely, outrageously absurd, and then can switch quite easily into genuine sincerity. He's built a hell of a resume over the years, and he is the host of an improv game show called Bunk that's starting on IFC on June 8th, 2012, at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Here he is at our most recent Risk show at the People's Improv Theater in New York City. This is Kurt Braunohler with a story we call In My Ride. sad story. <laughs> and what better way to start a sad story with one of the worst songs ever written. <laughs> like a G6 is an aggressively stupid song <laughs> that celebrates being drunk and bottle service. And I hated it when I first heard it and now I love that song. <laughs> This takes place in early, the summer of early 2010. Uh, I had never heard that song before. I like to call that time my life pre-G6. Um, or PG for short. Um, so now it's, well now, yeah, no, also, well now is post-G6, it's also PG. So my time, yeah, I should have thought about that. Now it's 2BG, PG right now, but then before it was like 31 PG. <laughs> I had just finished dating uh, my Australian carny girlfriend, ACG for short, and I had started dating um, a 21-year-old. I was 34 at the time. <laughs> this is the point. When you tell people that you're a 34-year-old man dating a 21-year-old, the reactions are, uh, are divided roughly down gender lines. <laughs> Women think you're a horrible monster, and men are too busy giving you high fives to say much of anything. But they're both wrong. The guys who are giving me high fives for dating a 21-year-old, for bagging a 21-year-old chick, 
are excited for me because I beat out other 21-year-old boys. <laughs> Which is, if you wear deodorant and don't bring 40s to parties, you've done it. <laughs> and if you have a job, you're like a fucking astronaut. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was 21. When I was 21, I had a fully shaved head and just a coxcomb of hair on, the, on, the, on my forehead, which I would sculpt into, uh, into horns. And, like, my political views were, were mostly just me yelling, like, Fuck! And my favorite meal was to go into 7-Eleven, get a bag of Oots potato chips, and pump all of the free chili and cheese from 7-Eleven into them, shake it up, and then squeeze it into my mouth like some sort of disgusting charcuterie toothpaste. So being more attractive than a 20-year-old boy, boy is not very difficult. And, and, and for the ladies who judge me, I have to defend myself on some level. I, when I asked her out, I didn't know she was 21. I thought she was 24. <laughs> Is that a defense? Is that a defense? Uh, also, she was really mature. I've said it. I've said it. I've said the thing that an older man says when he dates a 21-year-old. Guys, she's really mature. I also said the amazing, guys, she's 21 and three quarters. <laughs> I actually said that once. Uh, but also, she had graduated college, and I had just broken up. I had been in a, a relationship for two years, and I had just gotten out of it. And we talked about the age difference a lot, and uh, she was having a good time. She was fine with it, and I was having a good time, and it was fine. I, I liked her. She was smart and savvy and well-traveled. And while about three weeks into when we were dating, I uh, decided to ride, drive a car down to visit... Uh, one of my best friends growing up, Stu. He lived in Baltimore. And I had lived in Baltimore in the, the mid-90s. And Baltimore, I love Baltimore and I hate Baltimore. If anyone's ever lived in Baltimore, you know that feeling of like that, that push and pull of like loving and hating the city. I always think of Baltimore the same way I think of my alcoholic autistic cousin. Like, <laughs> most of the time, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? That's sad. And then every once in a while, I'm like, that is how many nickels are in that jar. Like, you're kind of magic. You're kind of magic, aren't you? And as I'm driving down there, I had forgotten all my music. I didn't bring any CDs, and the car only played CDs, so I had to listen to the radio the whole time. And about, like, 45 minutes in, I hear this song, this Like a G6 song, and I'm like, this is terrible, and I change the channel, and then it just comes on the next channel immediately. I change that. It comes on the next channel immediately, and then all of a sudden, it was like, Like a G6 had me in a hostage situation, <laughs> and I went through all of the levels of grief that I think a hostage would go through. Like, first, it was like denial, like, no, no, this is not a popular song. <laughs> And then it was like anger, you know? And I was just like, the, literally the quote is, popping bottles in the ice like a blizzard. When we drink it right, getting slizzard. <laughs> Did they just invent a word to rhyme with blizzard? And then they rhymed the word six with itself six times. And I was like, really? Really? And then I would just yell out words that rhymed with six, you know, like, Mix, oh, racist, fix, racist, it's all racist. Uh, I didn't mean to be racist there twice. Um, 
But I was so angry. And then all of a sudden it became like acceptance. After like the seventh time hearing, I was like, okay, okay. America as a culture is in a nosedive towards oblivion. <laughs> and this is the song that will play on our Titanic as we head into spiritual death. And then in like a perfect Stockholm Syndrome moment, I started unconsciously turning it up when it came on. <laughs> and it has done what every fucking pop song in the entire history of the universe has done, is it's beaten down your conscious defenses and infected you with just a hook. And no matter how dumb it is, all of a sudden, like when I got out of the car, I was like, Stu, let's get slizzard <laughs> on whatever scissorp is. And Stu, so Stu for me, I, I grew up with him, and Stu was the guy who, he wasn't like the leader of the group or anything, but he was the guy who first kind of showed me that you could live a life that was creative. Like if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be a performer now. He, he was the, the aesthetician of our group. He's the one who kind of lived life the way that we always kind of dreamed that we could live it. And I hadn't seen him in a long time, but we always had this thing, we had this almost arrogance about our friendship that whenever we saw each other, no matter how many years had gone by, when we saw each other, we just stepped right back into the relationship like we had, we had never left each other. And, 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 and that, that, I expected that to be the exact same when I got there. And, and, and right the moment we started hanging out, I, I, I realized something was off. And, and I didn't know if it was because I had been hanging out too much with comedians who, are all, who have like a pathological need to always be on and loud and making jokes. And he hasn't been in that world. And I didn't know, but I was just excited to see him. And there was just, there was just a wall up where there had previously been no wall. And we talked about everything. We, we, we talked about you know his daughter and his new girlfriend and the weird Swedish speed metal that he got into. And I talked about how I felt kind of lost right now and how I was dating this 21-year-old and like, what does that mean? And that I felt like I was in a point in my life where I had making, making, made, <laughs> I had made decisions that I couldn't unmake at this point. And I had to always live my life going forward with those as a given and that I couldn't just change. And that was a new feeling for me. And this wall just kept being up and there was no connection. And I was like, I know what we need to do. We need to go out and we need to get drunk and, and we need to walk around and listen to loud music and yell and then drink more beer and then walk around more and that'll, be, that'll do it. We'll have that old connection again. And, uh, and I suggested this or some level of this. And he said, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta wake up early, I gotta go running. And I'd come all this way down to see him, and I just assumed that I would stay over. And he suggested staying with a friend up the street. And I said, are you sure we can't hang out tonight? And he's like, well, you know. And I was like, so I should, I should go? I should get in my car and go, it's 9 p.m.? And he's like, well, you know, I think, I think it would just be easier. And so at 9 p.m. I got back in my car and I started driving home. And, and I really did feel like for the first time in my life that I didn't have a connection to my present because I just kind of felt unhinged at the moment, having just broken up with someone. And, and I didn't have a connection to my past 
and I felt totally adrift. And then, of course, and I was like, we're going to be okay. Scissor, whatever the fuck you are, you're going to get me home tonight. And I just kept driving. And about the third time that Like a G6 came on the radio, I was around the John Fenwick uh, exit, the rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. I, uh, I had a panic attack, and I'd never had one before, and I didn't know what it was. But it felt like I was having a heart attack, and someone had given me acid at the same time. I just felt like a pressure on my chest, and then the road just became far too long and twisty for me to drive on. It just extended out, and I was like, there's no way this is going to continue. And so I had to pull over, and I was drinking water, and I was calling friends. It's like an hour of like just being on the side of the road, just talking to people. They're like, you're having a panic attack. It's okay. Like, chill out. And I would calm down. I'd get back in the car, go for maybe 20 more minutes. It would happen again. I'd pull over. I did it about four times. And finally, I was like, I was an hour outside the city. I just wanted to get home. And I finally was like, I have to pull over and get a hotel room. I, I can't drive anymore. This is dangerous. And I got a hotel room that I couldn't afford. I had no money at the time. I had to put it on a credit card. And I get into the hotel room, and I'm shaken. And I text Renee. Uh, my 21-year-old girlfriend at the time. And I was like, do you want to go to the beach tomorrow? And she says, okay, sure. And I was so thankful that I had this person to reach out to. And that, but this person is a, a three-week-old relationship with a 21-year-old who I barely know. And that was what I was like clinging to. And I wake up in the morning, and I, I like the, the effects of the panic attack have worn off. And... And I kind of feel good. I feel sunny. I start driving back into the city. Uh, I text her, like, let's meet up you know, at the beach here at where I go to the beach in Rockaway. And she says, great. And I like, stop. I get all the stuff we need. I get a cooler. I get, I get my surfboard. I get you know, blankets. And I go to the beach. And I set it all up. And I'm waiting. And I get a phone call. And it's from Renee's number. And I answer it. And uh, it's her brother. And uh, Renee... He explains to me that Renee has just been checked into the psychiatric ward uh, at uh, the Presbyterian Hospital and that uh, she's doing fine, but she's going to be there for a few days. And I ask if everything's okay, and she says, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll know in a few days. And I said, well, please keep me you know, abreast of whatever happens. And I hang up the phone, and then I was just sitting there, and I, I couldn't move. I was just, I was just paralyzed in that moment. I, I, was, I was worried for her, and it turns out later that she is totally fine. But I was worried for her, and I was ashamed at myself that I had made this 21-year-old girl into some sort of imagined savior for me. And I just couldn't move. And then I realized there that becoming an adult and stopping being a child are two separate things. I became an adult years ago, but I didn't stop being a child until I was sitting there paralyzed on Beach 89th Street in Rockaway, Queens. And then all of a sudden, 
from behind me from a family who was on a blanket. I hear. And it kind of shook me, and it got me walking, and I got up and grabbed my stuff, and I started walking, and I just kept walking. Thanks. Except for the motherfuckers part, because it's just called hold on. There's no reason to get vulgar here. The fuck are you thinking? Okay, kids, we will be back next week with a regular episode of Risk, four or five stories. But that is in the future. Today is the day. So get on out there in the summer sun and take a Mickey Fickin' Risk. <laughs>